This is the Padre Peregrino podcast. Theology from a wandering priest where you can learn scripture from the fathers and traditional catechisms for free. Join Father David Nix here for shows on church reform and world politics, all from the point of view of apostolic Catholicism, the original founded by Christ. This is TCE number 49, The Truth About Trafficking. TCE stands for Theology and Current Events. Hello, my name is Father David Nix. This is the Padre Peregrino Podcast. Three things before getting started here. One, I would encourage you not to have your children listen to this. You can probably tell why due to the title of this video slash podcast. Secondly, you are probably watching this on Rumble or listening on your podcast app. If you were bounced over here by YouTube, I'd encourage you to subscribe on Rumble. I'd sure like to get my subscribers from YouTube to Rumble precisely because of the censorship over there. And then thirdly, because we're going to be talking about trafficking today, there's a lot of people out there that really don't believe a priest would have any credentials in this uh, topic, in this fight today. Part of it's because of the current scandals we've seen in the past 50 or 60 years, and uh, partly just because it's such an extraordinary topic that's really very hot in the media right now, that it's hard for someone to believe that someone's been in this for, for many, many years. So I do want to, without bragging, I just want to give you some credentials because I've seen some people on social media doubt that I have actually been involved in this. So it's probably worth just mentioning just a few minutes on the credentials and then the rest of this video slash podcast will not be about me. Uh, so at the, in the late 90s, I was an EMT in Boston. Early 2000s, I was a paramedic in Denver and most of my calls were with the police. As we're going to see later, trafficking is right under your nose long before you even start talking about kidnapping. In seminary and after ordination, I got involved with the anti-trafficking movement that was about 15 years ago. Two of my spiritual directees have started homes for recovery for children who had been sex slave trafficked. I was the vice president of one of them at one point. A little bit later, I'm going to tell you the difference between recovery and rescue. I have friends who are involved in international rescue with automatic weapons, friends who partner with people who have rescued Nigerian Christian children from Boko Haram. It's important to note that Tim Ballard, who is a Mormon, uh, it's good he's doing his work, but we do have Catholic organizations out there uh, doing rescue. And this isn't really a credential, but I prayed an entire section of the Roman canon in all my masses for children who have been trafficked. Uh, This is one of the main things I pray about, pray for, uh, really the past 15 years. So I bring this to almost every single Mass for the for the last 13 years after my ordination, and many prayers even before that. And then I was uh, given a sneak preview of Sound of Freedom two summers ago, so I'm making this video in 2023. It was a full two summers ago in the summer of 2021 in Buffalo, New York, that the executive producer to Sound of Freedom gave me a sneak preview, and He likes to stay off the grid due to his humility. There's almost nothing on him on IMDb, but he said he would consider going on this podcast. And uh, he listens to my podcast sometimes. His wife listens a lot more. So I do thank them for their hospitality to me when I'm in Los Angeles. And I do thank him for producing such a great movie. It's a very exciting movie, but today we're going to see in today's video podcast that really the main reason we're going to see internationally, this isn't just a problem in the United States, Really, the main reason we're going to see that kids 
cannot be rescued is not physical bonds, but psychological bonds. There's rescues happening out there, but we're going to look at uh, a little bit more of the mundane and commonplace side of trafficking that's actually a little bit harder to crack through than just having a Kevlar vest and an automatic weapon. Great movie, but we're going we're gonna to see a, uh, a little bit more sterile side of trafficking today that's harder to crack through. But I'm going to have encouraging words at the end for people who do want to get involved in this great work. So it's probably pretty obvious to you, rescue versus recovery. Rescue is getting kids out of trafficking, getting kids out of sex slavery. Recovery is opening homes in which they can recover. Um, as you probably saw in the movie Sound of Freedom, we are dealing with kids not just 12, 10, 8. We're looking at even 6-year-old kids. That's one reason I don't want kids listening to um, today's video. In the International Symposium of, of Anti-Trafficking, you're also going to notice that every continent has a little bit different way of how kids are brought into this. Um, another important thing is when I first got involved in the anti-trafficking movement 15 years ago, it's very easy to see kids who don't want to leave. That's actually going to be one of the main topics today. Um, it's easy to look at them and call them wayward children or people will even call a 12-year-old a prostitute. Well, I'm sure most of you know there's no such thing as a 12-year-old prostitute, even when it seems they want to be involved in this. And I'm going to explain later why it seems they want to be involved. It's basically a little preview here because they've all been brainwashed. But, of course, there's no such thing as a 12-year-old prostitute. They are all sex slaves. But what's going to be a little bit surprising as you listen to this is how and why so many of them don't want to leave. I know that's a little bit of a showstopper for people, but we're going to see why that's the case. Okay, let's look at some of the statistics of child sex slavery here. Well, actually, let's just look at slavery as a whole. There are currently 50 million people in slavery in the world. That's more than during the transatlantic slave trade. Of those 50 million, 13% are sex slaves exclusively. Of those 50 million, 25% are children. And of those 50 million slaves in the world, 78% are females, either women or girls. And as I said earlier, what we're going to see is a lot of this is a lot less violent and exciting than what most people want to admit. Now, here's what's happening in the United States. Uh, over 90%, I think it's closer to 99% of all runaways, we're talking about if a teen runs away from a home and they have to go through, say, a bus station, 90 to 99 percent of them will be approached within 24 hours by a trafficker. But they're not kidnapped, they're not put in shackles, they're not put in handcuffs, they're not put in, in cages. Often it's what is called the lover boy syndrome. You'll have a 24-year-old show up at the bus station who's either the uh, John, uh, rather the pimp, or someone working for him, but they don't kidnap her. This guy will say to a 14-year-old girl, uh, wow, can I help you? I he pretends to fall in love with her over the next week, really thinks he needs her, then she starts to think he needs, uh, she needs him, and you can see where this goes. So lover boy syndrome, it's essentially emotional shackles, not physical shackles. This is, this is what's happening in America. Um, and eventually this leads to Stockholm syndrome. That's a term probably most of you are familiar with, and that is where the, the captured becomes psychologically attached to the captor. But what we're going to see in this podcast is this is like Stockholm Syndrome to the 100th degree. This isn't just someone who is in a bank robbery 
like the initial name of what happened in Stockholm that gave him the name. This is like Stockholm syndrome to the hundredth degree of such severe brainwashing that most of these kids don't want to leave. Now, as I'm going to say later, that doesn't mean we don't go rescue them. But the fact is that here in the United States, especially, there's trafficking under our noses with you know, 10, 12, 14-year-olds who get involved with this lover boy syndrome. And the first shackles before there is drug, drug shackles is essentially psychological ones. Um, in fact, that at the beginning, chemical bonds and physical bonds are rarely needed. A woman I have communicated with was trafficked as a child, and I read her story, and I contacted her. She let me reproduce her story on my blog in May of 2022. I'm going to read a little bit of that here, but I'm going to link her whole story on my blog um, in the show notes for this podcast and video. This young woman who talks about how she was trafficked as a very young teenager she describes that famous picture many of you have seen with that little girl with a captor's hand over her face and a cage in the background. It's sort of become the entry-level amateur picture of what trafficking looks like to Americans. And that's, that's fine. I'm glad there's people getting excited and want to fight that. But she points out in her description of what happened to her as she was trafficked here in the United States, there was no hands over her mouth. There was, there was no cages, there was no um, handcuffs, well there's probably mouth, hands over her mouth because she was abused tens of thousands of times as a minor. But what we're going to see from her description uh, is that her dad sold her to his friends and except for tens of thousands of times of rape, uh, this poor child had very minimal violence and kidnapping against her. I know that's weird to say except for the rape because that's absolutely unbelievably horrible that this has happened to her probably tens of thousands of times. But listen closely to her account of what happened in small town Pennsylvania. She writes, quote, I'm pretty open about my story. My father trafficked me from the ages of about five or six until I was a teenager. Knowing this, I can say I was never once tied up in a dark place such as this picture. It's important for people to educate themselves on what trafficking can really look like. Many, many times I walked into an amusement park dressing room, Hershey, Dorney, etc., with my father, told to wait in the stall, and a few minutes later another man came in acting like he was looking for his daughter. At that easily a drop was made. Out I would walk holding his hand, nothing anyone would think twice about. Usually I'd be given something like an ice cream cone, etc. And like me, these children are often not treated quote-unquote badly. I mean, yes, they're treated awfully and violated beyond words, but I mean they're not hit, tied up, and beat up. Most of the time, they're treated with fake kindness, which really ups up children's trust later on in life, but they're often praised, given treats, and made to feel like what is happening is a good and normal or because they're special. How many vacations we went on where I was left for a minute at the pool until a man came and I left with him for a while. Airports where I was passed over to another man in a crowd, looking like any girl going from her dad or uncle to her dad or uncle again. Again, a public drop and nothing suspicious. Most children trafficked in the U.S. are so conditioned they don't know anything else. It's their normal. I think back and as an adult, 
And I think, why didn't I scream out for help, make a scene? But I had to forgive my inner child. There was no reason I knew to scream out for help. I wasn't in danger. This was just my normal life. So notice right there that poor young woman as a five or six year old up until the time she was a teenager was trafficked and there was no handcuffs or cages involved. It doesn't even appear that there was drugs involved. It was her father who was doing this to her. And notice how many kids in this country are trafficked without violence. So here's one of the things I want you to realize. We're going to talk about numbers, who to call, what to do a little bit later in this podcast. But if you came upon them, they wouldn't leave their captor because either it's their dad or they're so brainwashed into this, what I call Stockholm Syndrome to the 100th degree, that they wouldn't even leave their captor. As long as they believe they can't leave you, you don't need the uh, really dramatic things that people who are barely dipping their foot into the shallow end of the trafficking world really get excited about right now. Again, Stockholm Syndrome is so bad, most of these kids would not leave their captor if given a chance. If you think that sounds crazy, remember the CV I just gave you for myself, and then I'm going to give you some more examples a little bit later. And if you don't believe me, just talk to anybody who's been in the anti-trafficking world for a long time, and they'll tell you it's a lot more like the story she just said than the movies that a lot of people are thinking of. Now, there's some exceptions. Obviously, um, there is real rescues happening. OUR, Tim Ballard, this is captured very well in, in Sound of Freedom. We're going to talk about in a minute, though, what you don't see in the movie is the safety net set up after that for the homes of recovery. Obviously, if you rescue kids, you can't just go in with automatic weapons and then congratulate yourself. These kids have to go somewhere. We're going to talk about how difficult that is later. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I have friends who are Catholics who are mercenaries who are doing this stuff. They've offered to me um, the chance to be a chaplain for some of these groups doing the exact same thing as Tim Ballard and OUR, but they're out of Europe and they're Catholics. But the other unpopular part of recovery homes is how the kids act in there. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But it's not nearly as romantic as, as people getting into this. So really what you're going to hear at the message, the message at the end of this isn't don't get involved in the anti-trafficking movement. I just want you to realize you have to get in this for the long haul. That's going to be the real takeaway that I give you at the end of this podcast is if you're going to get involved, this has to be for the long haul. Now, before we go more into the practical, I want to give you a little bit of the politics and religion that I've seen in my 15 years and being in the anti-trafficking world. One of the things to realize, and this is one reason this is not going on YouTube, is all of child trafficking is downstream of abortion. You know, when I got involved in the anti-trafficking world 15 years ago, I believed that conservatives were for saving unborn children and liberals wanted to stand against child slavery. But now I'm not so sure since they're constantly discrediting the global reality of how ubiquitous this is. I mean, we see how the left is even treating sound of freedom. They're doubting that this stuff happens. They're saying it's QAnon stuff. So if the left is now saying, well... Yeah, we're against child trafficking and, and child abuse, but it's really not happening as much as the right is saying. Yes, it is. There's 50 million slaves in the world. I'm going to link in the show notes the stats on that again. And, you know, if people can justify abortion, if the left is justifying abortion, there's no reason they're really going to throw their Bill Clintons and Joe, Bi Joe Bidens under the bus. Everybody knows 
um, Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton, there's a 99% of the evidence against them running child trafficking stuff out of Haiti is overwhelming. Uh, Tucker Carlson covered Joe Biden, how his daughter uh, wrote in her journal that she's so messed up as an adult because he would watch her take showers. So let's be honest, the left, the Democrats are the child, they are the party of unborn child sacrifice, and they're also the party of abusing children. Let's talk about religion. You know, Father Ripperger, he recently blamed the worldwide trafficking issue on the priest-child scandals in the church, at least partly. Now, is this a stretch? Of course not, because as Father Wolf said, every grace and every error flows from the altar. So it would take me hours to explain my own complex theory on this, but I believe God himself is taking the hits for all these kids by how many people are receiving communion in mortal sin. That might seem like a stretch, might, might not make any connection there in your brains there. If that doesn't make sense, just, just think this. Think innocence and malice, purity and filth, that God is taking the hits for his little ones and what he has to go through at Mass. Hopefully that gives you a little idea where I'm going. I don't want to get too graphic, but I'll put it this way. If you believe the church has been infiltrated at a human level, then, you know, obviously even if at a divine level she's the spotless bride of Christ, but at the human level being infiltrated, this has a lot to do with the infiltration of innocent children. And again, if all this seems too complex, please just join me in praying for the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary because the restoration of the Catholic Church is everything I pray for now, even more than the end of abortion and the end of child sex slavery. Why do I pray for the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the restoration of the Church? Doesn't one of those seem pie in the sky and the other seem like something on earth I should be praying for? Well, because I can't imagine trafficking will end as long as priests and bishops are covering for it. And I will link in the show notes how Catholic Charities in one big Catholic city, Catholic Charities is complicit in trafficking of children. You heard that correctly. I had put that video on Telegram at one point, and then I took it down because I thought, this is too extraordinary. This is too outrageous. I'm going to answer to God for these false accusations, even promoting them. And then I asked Father Jim Altman, who is down at the border, as well as Jesse Romero, and they both said, yeah, it's true. What you see in that video by complicit clergy about how Catholic Charities in Texas is complicit in trafficking children... uh, they said it's true, so I'm going to link that in the show notes. And this is why this is why I prioritize church reform ahead of even the pro-life movement and the anti-trafficking movement in my prayer right now, because what are we winning people to until we clean up the clergy here? Now, as I said, two of my spiritual directees went on uh, kind of under my guidance. guidance. I kind of cast them the vision and got them involved in the anti-trafficking movement, and they went on to form homes for recovery. And as I said, one of them made me a vice president at one point. I was busy, among other reasons, and and had to quit. But I've been involved in these homes of recovery. In my future, there might be rescue. Again, I have friends in Europe doing work in Africa, and they're partnering with people who've asked me to be a chaplain. So I might have future travel where I get to use my languages and EMS and my trafficking background to help with rescue. Uh, But I want to tell you, since I haven't been involved in rescue, I want to tell you just some aspects of trafficking I've seen out in the open, even outside of my involvement in the recovery world and pre, or I should say before I get to the rescue world. 
So one of these, I was in Rome about five years ago. I was in the suburbs of Rome, and I saw a 12-year-old dressed to kill in black leathers, red lipstick, and she was with a female 16-year-old handler. And these two were clearly walking the streets. Now, what would happen if I decided to run up and grab that 12-year-old who was being sold on the streets? The 16-year-old captor would certainly call the police, and guess what? The police would arrest me, <laughs> not the next person to abuse that, that girl, that poor girl. Why? Because the cops would arrest me saying I was harassing a prostitute. But as I said earlier, folks, there's no such thing as a 12-year-old prostitute. Even though this girl, this 12-year-old, was walking the streets, she walked the streets like she owned it, she looked like a tough girl, she was walking with her 16-year-old handler, and they were walking like they were the ones in charge of everything that was going to happen that night. Now, why is that? It's because the 12-year-old is so brainwashed that she doesn't know any better at this point. And that's why we will never, ever call a 12-year-old a prostitute. She's truly a sex slave, even if she's walking, ta walking, talking, and acting like a prostitute. Would she leave that life if a rescuer came to her? No. Does she like her life? No, she doesn't like her life, of course. But this is where she's been. And perhaps the initial brainwashing, a lot of times they'll show a picture of a family member and say, if you leave, we're going to go kill this person. And then they end up uh, kind of climbing the ranks. So that 16-year-old that was her handler was probably a child sex slave at one point, and now she's her handler. And it's so sad to think about that, that you have a 16-year-old who's now complicit in all of this. But of course, she has major, major reduced culpability because she didn't choose this life either. She was, she was at one point kidnapped, even if it was uh, emotional bonds and not physical bonds or chemical bonds. She was kidnapped at one point uh, to be placed in this horrible life. Just a couple weeks ago, I was in Paris coming back from pilgrimage. I got sick, so I had to stay at a hotel near the airport by myself. I was with a group of about 80 pilgrims going across the Marian shrines of Europe. I got sick, had to go back, and I stayed in a hotel. In the, this was kind of one of those like uh, fancy modern art deco chic hotels near the airport that someone put me up in. So in the morning they had free breakfast, and I saw something really strange at breakfast. I look over, and I see a 60-year-old creepy bald Frenchman with a bathrobe on, Looks like he has no shirt under the bathrobe. Turns out he had like a weird cheesecloth see-through thing, but basically no shirt on. So you have a 60-year-old French bald man with a, uh, a night robe, a bathrobe on, and a silk one, by the way. And then who's he with? He's with a nine-year-old Indian girl holding a stuffed teddy bear. And so I started watching this started taking pictures, started scrolling through my phone to look for the French anti-trafficking number. Of course, France being a socialistic country, I see numerous numbers. I don't know which one to call. I'm proficient in French, but not fluent. And I didn't call because I wasn't sure which number and I knew it would be an hour of all kinds of questions. Now, in retrospect, I really regret just not calling the French number for 911. Uh, but the problem again is, even if they had shown up, the guy would have just said, what? Who cares? Now, is it worth it? Yeah, I should have called 911 or whatever the French equivalent of 911 is. 
why should I have called that number? Because is it going to ruin his life if it happens that he's just the weird, creepy uncle who's from a multiracial family who has a nine-year-old Indian with a teddy bear, not really age-appropriate, by the way, in a hotel? No, it's, it's not going to ruin his life at all. And so my point to you today is if you see something strange like that, call 911 or the trafficking number I'm going to give you at the end of this at the end of this podcast. If this was the United States, I certainly would have called the number I'm going to give you at the end of this podcast, 888-3737-888. But it was Europe. I tried searching, couldn't find the right number. I know these are all lame excuses. I should have just called the police. Uh, but had they found something, it would have saved her. If they didn't, it would not have ruined this potential captor's life if he was just the weird, creepy uncle from a multiracial family. So the point is this. If you see something that looks like trafficking, uh, don't be like what I did three weeks ago and hesitate. Just call the police because the adult's life's not going to get ruined if they show up, if the police show up and he explains a perfectly normal story. Now, again, of course, if she was at this level of brainwashing that nothing would have helped her, no one could have rescued her, okay, but at least it gives the chance to put this situation on the radar for the police or different anti-trafficking units in the area. Again, that girl, she might have this Stockholm Syndrome to the 100th degree, brainwashing beyond what you can imagine. And it's truly not an exaggeration to say most, don't bon most do not want to be re rescued. Now, that doesn't mean they shouldn't be rescued. Of course they should. But for the people out there just getting into the anti-trafficking world, they don't understand there has to be this enormous safety net that is homes of recovery that has to be established for where you are going to bring these formerly rescued kids. There's uh, After Sound of Freedom came out, I'm getting emailed. People are interested in going and taking their skills to go rescue kids. There's men who fired a rifle a few times and they want to go rescue. There's women who want to maybe sit in homes of recovery and do arts and crafts with girls thinking it's going to be easy. No, it's this is a lifetime commitment you're looking at. Probably most people who want to get involved in the anti-child sex slavery world, they get washed out because of the level of attack against them, against the good adults, not just spiritual, but even physical. So before I finish on what you can do to get involved and really how you have to steal yourself if you're going to be involved, let me just tell you again, the number in the United States for the anti-trafficking, any concern that you have, either call 911 or one 888 373-7888. And I will link that in the show notes. Okay, so there's two types of worlds you can get involved in if you want to be involved in the anti-child sex slavery world. One is rescue. But again, this isn't just having an automatic weapon or knowing how to fire it. This is a lifetime commitment. And many people get burned out. Many people can't deal with the evil that they're about to see. And in some sense, they shouldn't be able to deal with that level of evil. It's a very specific calling. But you can't just take your rifle and go rescue a couple kids and come back to your normal life. It doesn't work like that. And then as far as the home of the recovery, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of young women out there. And God bless them. They wanna, I think they just want to come and hug these girls who've been raped tens of thousands of times and comfort them and stuff. They don't realize how difficult these homes are. Uh, again, I, I can tell you about some home. One home, I've talked to the, uh, the man who opened this home with his wife. One home has to lock the doors so the kids don't escape. Uh, another home had uh, formerly trafficked kids trafficking other kids that were in there. And then another home I know of had such high turnover rate of the 
American lay people who were working to help these formerly trafficked kids, the, the turnover rate was so high, he had to bring in all foreign religious sisters. American lay women couldn't handle it. It's that hard. Um, and this is because the kids misbehave so badly. Now, are they innocent in God's eyes after, you know, having been raped 20,000 times before they were 12? I'm sure that their, their extreme misbehavior of getting into drugs and even trafficking other kids as teenagers out of these recovery homes, I'm sure they have major, major, major reduced culpability and might even be innocent in God's eyes for some or all of that. But for people just getting involved in the anti-trafficking world, to man's eyes, they're not going to look that innocent. And if you think this is an exaggeration, if you think, um, I'm just making stuff up and these are really, really sweet kids, just go talk to anybody that's home, owned a home of recovery and you will see it's some of the very, very hardest work to be doing with children anywhere in the world right now. Um, some of the kids are really sweet and some of them have huge conversions and, and go on uh, to make a huge difference even in the anti-trafficking world. But the point is, if you want to be involved in rescue or recovery, you have to be involved with this for like a decade out. This is a decade-long commitment. This is a 10-year commitment if you're an adult who wants to help these kids. This isn't just a weekend thing. It is full of spiritual attack against you and often physical attack against you. So it's really awesome. All these people after Sound of Freedom want to get involved, but we don't need people who are going to be weekend warriors. We need people to sign up for like a full decade of giving your whole life to this. Now, here's the great news. If you're in it for the long haul, I guess I really should have included a lot more good news, but you can find a lot of the good news online. If you're in it for the long haul for either rescue, be that national or international, or recovery, be that national or international, if you're in it for the long haul, you are going to see miracles, you're going to see transformations, you're going to see rescues, you're going to see kids who have been raped tens of thousands of times before they were 13 be able to turn their lives around. But you got to be in it for the long haul if you're getting excited about this anti-trafficking world. I don't mean to take the wind out of anybody's sails, but it's sort of like I was saying this to a married friend on the phone today who's starting up a security firm that's also going to be involved in rescue. I said, it's sort of like when you first get married when you're 20 and you think that your Catholic life is going to be fun and exciting and raising kids is just going to be all glory and salvation of souls. And then you realize it is all those things, but it's a lot slower and a lot more painful than you ever expected. And that, I think, is how it is to be involved in the anti-trafficking world. You will see rescues, you will see miracles, you will see transformations, but the level of commitment for such a long haul has to be absolutely tremendous because it's about the worst thing happening in the world. What abortion does to children's bodies, trafficking does to children's souls. As I said in the show notes, I'm going to link you Agape International with all those stats. I will link you the story of the American girl who was trafficked out of Pennsylvania, real basic mundane story being trafficked out of like Hershey's uh, amusement park. That's the second thing I'll, I'll link. Thirdly, I will link one of the recovery homes that I support financially that I would highly encourage you to. Fourth thing, unfortunately, I'm going to have to link the Catholic Charities Found Trafficking, the YouTube on that. And then the last thing I will link in the show notes is the trafficking hotline. If you see something that might be suspicious, it will not ruin the adult's life to call that number 911. But refraining from making the phone call 
can harm the child's life. So if you see something at all suspicious, just call. It won't hurt anything. The risk-benefit is a no-brainer on this. Thanks for listening. Go see Sound of Freedom. And if you get involved, steal yourself for the fight of your life. But also be ready to be rewarded for one of these greatest battles of the 21st century and what God will crown with those who stand with him for those children all over the world. May God bless you. Thanks for listening.